Good morning, happy Easter, and welcome to this Jesus Is series at City Church. For 2,000 years, people have been fascinated by this man. People love him, they hate him, respect him, they mock him. They think he's dangerous or meek. They think he's wise. They think he's the embodiment of love or a figure of hate. In this Jesus series, we're going to take Jesus at his own words. He wants us to do that. He's never been afraid of it. We are going to be in the book of John, and it is a perfect place to start because it's like a well-cut diamond showing different faces, different facets of his character. And in the Gospel of John, we see Jesus interacting with real people who live in real cities like us, people with their own hurts, their own families, their own dreams and visions like we have. Jesus once asked his best friend, who do you say that I am? It's an important question about the world's most controversial figure. If Jesus is a mystery to you, then this series will help you explore and reflect on who Jesus is to you. He is a character that demands a response, and this series should help you consider what your response to him is. If Jesus is familiar to you, then this series is going to take you deeper. It's going to help you gaze back at that well-cut diamond and appreciate who Jesus is more and more. On this Easter morning, I'm going to dive right in at the deep end, and I'm going to talk about one of the boldest and the most powerful claims Jesus ever made, when he said, I am the resurrection. He said these words to a woman who was one of his closest friends just a few days before he himself was going to be arrested and sentenced for the crime of claiming to be the Son of God and then executed on a cross, and according to about 500 witnesses, himself bodily raised from the dead. Let's read a little bit of the background to this remarkable claim. I'm going to read from John's Gospel, chapter 11. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. And so the sisters sent a message to Jesus, telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. And so although Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. And finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Verse 11, then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But now I'll go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he'll soon get better. They thought Jesus meant that Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you'll really believe. Come, let's go and see him. Verse 17, when they arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. And when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises on the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me, will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? 
Yes, Lord, she told him. I've always believed that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary from inside, from the mourners, and, and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. And when the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. And when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up inside him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, well, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. Lord, he's been there for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. And Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. That's from John chapter 11. Now, it's a really challenging, a really difficult time to be talking about heavy issues like suffering and death. We are in the middle of a global crisis where most of us are in lockdown. You're probably watching from your front room, I imagine, this morning. Many of us are away from our loved ones. A lot of us will know people who are suffering deeply or even have passed away. In this story, Jesus shows that he cares deeply about our suffering and death. He's not aloof from it. It's not something that he somehow transcends so it doesn't affect him. We see Jesus weeping over death and the anguish that it caused all those around. We see the anger welling up in him. He joins us in our hard times. He shares in our sufferings. And if you're in that situation right now, God knows and cares. Not in a trite way, but he engages with you where you're at. There's a point in the story where Mary comes to Jesus. And her brother's died, her heart's broken, and she doesn't understand why. Everybody else is standing around and sharing opinions. It's amazing how a tragedy or a crisis turns us all into philosophers. Have you noticed that recently? And people are interpreting events very differently. Some people are saying, like, wow, I, I can really see the love of Jesus in all of this. Others are interpreting it more cynically. Hang on, they say, well, if Jesus loved him so much, well, shouldn't he, couldn't he have done something? They want to know why this was allowed to happen. Everyone seems to have an opinion, or at least plenty of questions. Mary's response, though, was different. See, while they're all off busy sharing their opinions about Jesus, she just wants to be with him. 
She's just happy he came. She embraces him. She falls at his feet. She worships him. She loves him. And in doing that, she's really saying, Jesus, your presence, your being here is more important to me than understanding why this tragedy occurred. Because here's the thing, right? We're wired to believe that if we can just understand why a thing happened, that that's going to bring us comfort and a degree of satisfaction. We think if we can just get our questions answered, if, if we can just know how on earth God saw some good in all of whatever it is, then everything will be okay. We'll be content. We'll be satisfied. The reality is that's not true. That's not how it works. It's not that there aren't answers to these questions of why God would allow certain things to happen. It's that we rarely understand them in this life. And even in those times when we do, that's not the thing that's going to make us feel okay again. It's the presence of Jesus is the thing that will bring comfort. Being near him is the thing that satisfies. The embrace of his love is the thing that carries us through suffering and confusion. We don't have to understand everything. Mary understood this. She loved Jesus, and she was very secure in his love for her. He'd affirmed it so many times before. And for her, just being in his presence was what she needed, not a breakdown of the answers. I want to say a word about this, about how we grapple with the issue of why God lets certain things happen, why he doesn't answer certain prayers. Now, it's not that there are no answers. In fact, there'll be dozens, there'll be hundreds of possible reasons why in any situation we might go through hardship. Jesus certainly had his reasons here for delaying his arrival in this story, but I bet no one would have guessed what they were. The issue is we pretty rarely know, at least in this life, what those reasons were. There are many possibilities that might apply in any situation. Sometimes we understand them, but usually we don't. To be honest, as Christians, I think we're often pretty unhelpful when we try and explain away the problem of suffering. We're prone to making these vast, sweeping statements. We pick one of the, the many hundreds of possible reasons why something's happened, and we try and apply it to every situation. Sometimes I've heard Christians saying stuff like, well, God's just trying to teach us something, or, well, God's just waiting for a better time to answer your prayer, or... God's not going to answer your prayer because you're tolerating injustice or whatever it is. Now, maybe in some situations those things are helpful, but not in many. Trying to explain away the sensitive problem of suffering is usually pretty unhelpful. It just causes hurt. When a person is suffering bereavement and they hear, well, if you just prayed harder, that doesn't help. The reason that Mary didn't doubt Jesus' love the reason that it wasn't her top priority to know why is because she knew Jesus. She knew him personally, intimately. She loved him. She was secure in his love for her. Being in his presence was worth more than anything in the world. It was all that mattered. Sometimes people have asked me, how can you believe in God? How can you believe God is love when you don't have all the answers to your questions? Well, I've got a lot more answers than I used to, but honestly, that's not the reason. The reason is, I know him. I know he's good by experience. I know his love personally in my heart, as I'll explain later. And that's changed everything for me. It's not that 
I never ask those big questions. God isn't offended. He's a big boy. He can handle himself. But a bit like Mary here, I've come to realize that my comfort and my satisfaction, they come from being with him, not having all the answers. So what about you then? I wonder how many of you have been in a place recently where you've felt disappointed or you felt angry with God, especially with everything going on at the moment. Maybe you're caught up in this trap of thinking, well, it'll be all right if I understand. Listen, I pray you do understand, but hear me when I say that's not what's going to heal you. Being with Jesus is what's going to heal you. And so my challenge is, are you doing that? Are you making time in all the craziness of lockdown to get alone with God and spend some time in his presence? Like Mary did, are you running to his feet, taking hold of him, not to pray for stuff, but just to be with him? So we can see from Jesus' interaction with Mary, he cares deeply about our troubles, about our sorrows. And as much as I want you to see this in the Bible, Jesus wants you to see something more, something he deeply cares about, even more than physical life and death. And that is our eternal spiritual life. He does this profound miracle in the natural realm to illustrate something hugely more important in the, in the spiritual realm. You'll notice in the story, Jesus says a lot of stuff that puts the spotlight on the distinction between things that are physical, material, and spiritual and eternal. He talks about dying as if it was falling asleep. He talks to the sister of a dead guy about the possibility of living forever. Let's look at a few verses uh, here in detail. First of all, he says, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Have you ever thought about those statements? Believing in a person, that's easy to understand. But what did Jesus mean when he said you could live in me? How can a person live in Jesus? When Jesus talked about belief in God, he meant a lot more than just intellectually accepting a fact. His kind of believing was more not just thinking, well, yes, on the balance of probability, I suppose God probably exists. He's talking about the kind of belief that changes something deep inside us, that causes a person to come alive in a way that they never were before. This explains one of Jesus' uh, strangest and most famous expressions when he talked about being born again. He was talking about a new birth, like a, a coming alive, if you like, that was never tr previously true of a person. And then uh, in verse 25, Jesus says this, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. He says it's possible to come alive spiritually in a way that lasts for eternity, long, long past our physical death. And Jesus really, really wants us to understand that. And so he raises Lazarus to ram home the point. And in raising him from the dead, we see Jesus giving a loud, clear message. He says, you don't have to fear death. I'm the resurrection and the life, he says. Anyone who believes in me will live on even after they die. I said earlier it was a, a hard time talking about matters of suffering and death. A, a few days ago, my wife and I learned that someone we knew from Street Life, our ministry to the homeless here at City Church, had tragically passed away from coronavirus. 
we didn't really know him that well, but he'd been a volunteer on the team for many, many years. He was always such a fun, smiley, encouraging person. We always loved being on a team with him. And it shocked us to hear that he passed away. The thing that characterized his life, though, more than his smiles and his enthusiasm, was his faith in the resurrection of Jesus. And for those of us who, like our friend, believe in Jesus, we have a very different relationship with death. For us, death isn't something to be feared. It's the beginning of a joyful, eternal life. That's not a a trite, lazy idea that we slap around to make us feel better. It's faith in a glorious future forever with God. We don't need to fear death, it says, because Jesus has conquered it forever. By raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus was pointing forward to an even greater resurrection, his own one. And that resurrection would do way more than just making a statement or helping a friend. That resurrection would change the world forever. It would make it possible for any of us, all of us, to live eternally too. I want to read some verses from another book in the Bible, Hebrews uh, chapter 2. I'm just reading a couple, uh, 14 and 15. Because God's children are human beings, it said, made of flesh and blood, the Son of God also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who has the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Why would a person fear dying? Sometimes I think we fear dying because we fear this is it. That this short life might be all we have before nothingness. All our loved ones, all our achievements, everything gone forever. We fear that we haven't done enough and we haven't made enough of our short lives. I think the other reason we fear death is that we fear judgment. We fear that our mistakes and the shameful choices that we've made are going to catch up with us. We fear that in the cold, hard light of eternity, our hearts are going to be exposed for the corruption that was in them all along. All those times that our conscience nagged at us not to go there, not to do that thing, and we we pushed it aside, suddenly those things are going to come back to haunt us. Well, for my friend and for us as Christians, we don't have to fear being slaves to nothingness or to judgment because we believe in what Jesus did. I don't mean what he did here, raising Lazarus, but what he did a few days later, that first Easter morning, dying on the cross and then rising again himself. This verse says, only by dying could he break the power of death. Why is it only by dying? Well, let me explain. Jesus' death on the cross was a substitution. If you've ever watched a football match, you understand substitution well enough, I suppose. In a substitution, somebody is taken off the field of play and another person comes on to take their place. And actually, on the cross, Jesus was taking you and me, humanity, off the field and he was subbing himself into our place. He was experiencing death instead of us so we wouldn't have to. And he was experiencing judgment, even though he'd never done anything shameful, so that we wouldn't have to. Because, honestly, our corrupt, our shameful actions They ought to catch up with this one day, and they will, except for the fact that Jesus substituted himself into our place, letting that death that we deserve fall on him. 
And that's why Jesus' question to Martha was the most important. He looked her in the eye and he said, do you believe this, Martha? Because faith in Jesus dying and rising again on the cross means that our mistakes will be washed away forever. No fear of death or judgment. We come alive spiritually. We're able to know God in our hearts personally. It's the most important question that, that Martha ever answered, and it's the most important question we ever will. Do you believe this? Now, there's no better day than to pray and tell Jesus that you believe this than Easter morning. Yes, Jesus, I believe you died for me. You rose again to forgive all those shameful things I've done and let me live with you forever. If you tell Jesus that this morning, your life will never be the same again. Every wrong thing you've done will be washed away, never counted against you. You'll be one of those people Jesus described as the ones who live in me. You'll come alive on the inside like never before. And you can invite God's Holy Spirit literally to be with you, letting you know his closeness, his love, just like Mary had. I'm going to pray this right now. I've prayed it so many times before, but this Easter morning I am happy to pray it again. And I want to invite any of you to pray along with me, even if it's for the first time. It's really easy. Just copy what I say. Father God, I rejoice this Easter morning that Jesus died for me and that he rose again. I believe that it wasn't for nothing. I believe he was stepping into my place. He was being punished for all the things that I've done wrong. But he rose again. He was victorious. He came to life. And because he's alive, I can be alive. God, I thank you so much for this incredible mercy. I thank you. I don't need to fear death. And right now I ask you, please forgive me. Please make that true of me. Make me the one like Martha who knew what it was to be forgiven. Make me one like Mary who knew what it was to have you in her heart and know you personally. I ask you right now, come and fill me from the inside out with your Holy Spirit. Let me know that I'll live forever with you. Father, I thank you and I celebrate. Amen. Thank you so much uh, for listening to this. Now, you might be in a place where you've got a bunch of questions about all of this. Well, one great thing you can do is, is come back next week. Over the next six weeks, we're going to be exploring six more of the things that Jesus said about himself. That might be a great place to start. We've also got an alpha course starting soon online, so you can find more details about that on our website. Or maybe you just want to talk to somebody. You might talk to a friend that you know from church, or you can always get in contact with us through our website, and we would be absolutely delighted just to chat to you over the phone or by email and just help you to explore and find out more a little bit about this. Guys, have an amazing Easter. See you soon.